Okay. Um, here's the deal. Uh, before we begin, I want you to know. Yes. Kids worship. Yeah, y'all follow Colin out. Okay, so before we begin, I want you to know for your peace of mind uh, and for the peace of mind of your loved ones, you need to know Redeemer is not a soft target. I just want you to know that. We are putting right now very practical security measures in place. Uh, There is a fantastic theologian named Tim Kennedy who says, be a warrior in the garden, and so we will implement that. Um, Hallie Scruggs, nine years old, daughter of Chad and Jada Scruggs, had a memorial service yesterday. Um, Chad is the senior minister at Covenant Presbyterian Church. Uh, that is a PCA church. Uh, that is Van East. That's his home church, those of you that know Van. Uh, he is a former RUF pastor at SMU. Uh, he was a former associate pastor at Park City's Presbyterian Church, which is our home church that sent us and helped majorly plant this church. Uh, it's where my brother is currently serving as well. Uh, Chad is a former North Texas brother, um, pastor. Cynthia Peak, substitute teacher, Aunt Cindy to Will Rot Broyles. Uh, Will is a former RUF student, uh, former Redeemer member, uh, and a dear friend to many of us in this room. Uh, he told me on the phone um, she was just helping out a friend. Catherine Kunze, sister of Debbie Dunlap, a longtime member at Park City's PCPC, again, our home church. Uh, she's the one that bravely confronted the killer by herself, but not alone. Evelyn Dickhoss, William Kinney, two beautiful nine-year-olds. Michael Mike Hill, he bravely stood between the killer and the children. And again, he did not stand alone. So I wasn't sure what to do about today's sermon, all honesty. This was a this is a brutal week. So I didn't know, scrap it, scrap the text, um, go with it. So I decided on Thursday to just reread the text and just ask one question about the text. Who? Who is this text for? Who is this text written to? Why did the Holy Spirit inspire these words in this text, in this passage? Why is it in the Bible? And I think you're going to agree with me that it's the perfect text. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. (laughs) 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor because it's still in the sentence. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and all the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them beautiful, a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, to give them the oil of gladness instead of mourning, to give them the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they, those who mourn, may be called oaks of righteousness, that is, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. What's the result? Verse 4, they shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, this is the first sermon he ever preached. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit. Into your hands we commit ourselves. And so would you this morning speak us back to life again. And we pray this because of this passage. Amen. All right, so who is this text for? Who? Who is this text for? Verse 1. We can put it up there. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So who is this text for? Answer, the poor. Now the poor is not, I am weak. That's not the poor. That's, that's a situational poorness. That's like, I'm weak at math and I'm weak at 100 push-ups and Ten burpees. Um, the poor is, I am weakness. Weakness is in my very DNA. Weakness is in my very being. Weakness is my makeup. Weakness is me. If you are saying this morning, I am weakness, this text is for you. Do you see the poor, how the poor is highlighted first in the text? Do you see that? This is really interesting because this is the dominating idea. So grammatically, it's placed first, the poor. 
And syntactically, it's arranged so that it's the dominating idea of the text. Why is that happening? The reason why is because Isaiah 61, this text, wants you to know, the Bible wants you to know, God wants you to know that there's a deeper drama going on in the story of your life. Sure, there's the story of doing junior high school that everybody can't wait to get through. There's the story of doing high school and the story of going to Baylor and the story of being single or getting married and getting a job and doing your life. There's the story of that. And then there's the deeper drama. There's the story of family relationships and the story of going off and have friendships, the story of possibly having families. There's the story of your work relationships. And then there's the deeper story. There's the story of success and failure. There's the story of rich and poor. There's the story of black and white. There's the story of famous and forgotten. There's the story of loved and unloved. There's the story of winner and loser. There's the story of success and failure. There's the story of religious and irreligious. There's the story of progressive and conservative. There's the story of good and evil. There's the story of a killer and a victim. And then there's the deeper drama. What is the deeper drama? Answer according to this text is the deeper drama in your life is I am weakness. Luther calls it the agonizing struggle. You know why he calls it the agonizing struggle? Because it's a form of death. It's a form of dying. It's dying to yourself. That's why he calls it that. In other words, it's obviously painful. Experiencing your weakness is not something that you and I want to do. Experiencing your sin and your darkness is not something that you and I want to do. Experiencing the reality that apart from God, you're nothing and can do nothing, as Jesus says, nobody wants to experience that. And that's why he calls it the agonizing struggle. But that agonizing struggle right now is the deeper drama going on behind the story of your life. And most of us are doing everything we can to try to hold that at bay. We won't let it happen. But at times, man, it just pops up like in a depression. Or it pops up in anxiety. Or it pops up in relational conflict. Or it pops up when you fail at your job or your performance. It pops up when you don't think you're as good as you thought you were. Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. The me in this text brings good news to the poor, to the I am weakness. The me in this text brings power to the weakness. The me in this text is not saying, I will strengthen you. The me in this text is saying, I am your strength. 
This good news is a comprehensive good news. It's the good news of Jesus and the salvation. It's the good news of rising and dying. It's the good news of a complete and total redo. It's the good news that in the midst of I am weakness, Paul says there's a power that's made perfect in it. There's a power that comes to it. In verse 1, in Isaiah 61, what's happening in this passage is so phenomenal is that I am weakness is turning into power made perfect in weakness. So you could say it this way. I have my sin and then there's his death. I have my death, and then there's his resurrection, the power of his resurrection. There's the weakness of my obsession to justify myself, and then there's the power of his own righteousness. There's this deep pathological insecurity of needing to bring works and bring sanctification to recommend yourself to God, and then there's Jesus actually brings all the works and all the obedience, and the oak of righteousness for you. There's this deep sense of needing to be loved and accepted, and then Jesus brings his love and his acceptance. Who is this text for? The answer is the poor. Next one. Let's go to verse 2. Actually, let's go back to verse 1. Can you do that? Yeah, there it is. Go to that continued right there. There we go. So who is this text for? So he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. So who's the text for? The brokenhearted. This is the, the heart that's breaking to pieces. You, you keep thinking this way. When your heart's breaking to pieces, you keep thinking, listen, I'll run out of pieces soon. I have to run out of pieces soon, and then the pain will stop. But they never do. There's always another piece, isn't there? When your heart is breaking, there's always another piece. You think you're going to run out of pieces because you can't imagine there being any more breakage and any more pieces and any more disintegration of your heart, but there's always more and there's always another piece. And we keep thinking, ah, I'm going to get to the end of this, and you never do. If this is you, this text is for you. Did you notice how strange this text is? I mean, it's incredibly strange. You're going to look at it, and when I show you, you're going to be like, oh, my word, you're right. It's so strange. You know why it's so strange? It's so strange because we don't do life this way. We don't do life like this text. We don't do the way we look at our lives. We don't do how we deal with ourselves and our issues and our problems and our highs and our lows. We don't deal with our relationships the way this text deals with relationships. We don't do work the way this text does work. We don't do the culture the way this text does the culture. We educate. We convey information. We say things like, learn this, know this, think this. We say, we instruct. We exhort with instructions. We say, do this, apply this, follow this. But this text isn't, this text isn't educating us. This text isn't instructing us. This text is doing something to us. This text is doing. And it's doing what it says on the spot and in your seat. 
And that's what's so incredible. I mean, I can say so many things right now. I want to say so many things. How this will instruct us on how to read the Bible, how you do relationships, how you do ministry, how you reach people, how you renew people, what teaching's all about. There's so much that could be said about this. This text is doing what it says. This text is not educating you. It's not exhorting you. It's not instructing you. It's doing something to you. It's bringing good news to the poor, verse 1. It binds up the brokenhearted, verse 1. It proclaims liberty to the captives, verse 1. It opens the prison to those who are bound, verse 1. It proclaims the year of the Lord's favor, verse 2. It comforts all who mourn, all who mourn. How? It gives a beautiful headdress, not ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. Garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. It makes you an oak of righteousness. Amazing. But we're just going to stick with, let's go back to that second part of verse 1. We're just going to stick right there. Bind up the brokenhearted. This text is saying it binds up your broken heart. This text is saying that he sent me, whoever the me is in this text is, to do it. This text is saying that there is someone that binds up your broken heart. He does it. He doesn't tell you about the binding and how to make a suture. He doesn't exhort you to stop feeling so bad. He binds it up. He finds every single piece of your broken heart and he holds it in his hand. He finds every single piece He finds that loneliness. He finds that piece of a failed marriage. He finds that unnamed shame and sin in your life. He finds that piece of not being a good mom. And he holds it in his hand. And he puts you back together again. This text does this. On the spot in your seat. Not tomorrow. Right now. The question is, how does he do it, right? How does the me that's in this text do these things? So, this text um, that we just read after it, you need to know that Jesus is fresh from the field of facing the Satan. So he just undoes all that Adam ruined in the garden by going into the wilderness and undoing it by facing the Satan. And then when he's done, he's now going to do the first act of his ministry. So he gets baptized because he's now identifying with you and me. He got baptized because he became the substitute human being. He became the only human being that's going to reverse what was undone in the garden and is going to reverse everything that you've done in your life. And he's that human being. And he's the only one that's going to be the perfect human being. And then he goes to do what Adam didn't do. He goes to face the Satan. And he undoes what was done in the garden by undoing it in the wilderness. And then now he's beginning his ministry. It's the kickoff of his ministry. And you've got to be asking yourself, 
What is the centerpiece of his ministry? What is he all about? If he's a church planner, we'd say, what's his vision? What's his mission? If he was uh, Rick Warren, we'd say, what's his purpose-driven life? If it was Jocko, we'd say, what's his extreme ownership? If it was C.S. Lewis, we'd say, what is his mere Christianity? What is Jesus all about? What drives him? What are the deepest waters of his heart? What's his mission? If you're Jeff Hatton, you'd say, what's deep in his bones? And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. It begins. He goes home. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up. And I wonder, I wonder if this is the mission of the church today. He stood up to read the Bible. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it is written. He specifically finds Isaiah 61. He's given, he's given the scroll, goes to Isaiah, and he goes, right here. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover a sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, sits down. All eyes in the synagogue are fixed on him. And he begins to say, in other words, he's going to preach. I mean, how many of us are thinking right now, the way in which you're going to be set free, the way in which you're going to be healed and bound up, the way in which you're going to have happiness in your heart, the way in which you're mourning, you get beauty. In your mourning, there's ashes that are reached. The way in which the poor, you're going to be given strength. How many of us are thinking it's going to happen when I read the Bible? How many of us are thinking it's going to happen when I hear a sermon? And then he preaches. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's the shortest sermon in the world. It's close to Jonah. And Jesus is saying, what is he saying? I mean, this is amazing. What does he preach? It's unbelievable. Do you see it? What does he preach? What does Jesus preach? Himself. Jesus' first sermon, me. I'm your good news. I'm your healing. I'm your freedom. I'm the one that brings peace. I'm your comfort. And the question is, we're still asking, okay, Jesus, it's great, but how? How? How do you do this? How is this going to happen? And it's absolutely stunning because he intentionally leaves out a phrase that's in Isaiah 61, but it's not in his sermon. And he leaves out this one phrase. And what was the phrase? Do you see it? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. In Jesus' sermon, the day of vengeance of our God is intentionally left off. And everyone in that room knows it. And everyone in that room is thinking it. And everyone in that room is feeling it. And they're all saying, where is it? 
Where did it go? Answer, it's standing right before them. The day of vengeance is falling on the one right before them. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. You see, the reason why Jesus is the good news and the reason why he is your freedom and the reason why he is your healing and the reason why he is your comfort and the reason why he can bind you up and the reason why he can give power in your weakness and the reason why he can pick up and find and hold every piece of your broken heart, the reason why is because the day of vengeance fell on him. In other words, his heart was broken to pieces, but there was no one that would find them and hold them and put him back together again. There was only ashes. There was only mourning. There was only guilt. There was only shame. There was only sin. There was only death. And there was only the rage of primal evil all around him, everywhere. Who is this text for? The brokenhearted. So today's scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, what Jesus is saying, your comfort and my comfort is this. He's saying to you and me, I do what I say. Jesus does what he says. My words are not to educate you. My words are not to exhort you. My words are to do something to you. My words are to give power to your weakness. My words are to bind up your heartache. My words are to go in and set the captive free. My words go in to dungeons and prisons and unlock them and set you out. My words go into the deepest, darkest places on the planet and open doors. My words go to the morning, no matter what the morning is, of all aspects and all kinds, and comforts you. This is absolutely amazing. This is what you build your life around. This is what church is about. His words get things done. So here's the point. Jesus is saying to you right now in all aspects, no matter who you are, as he would say to anyone that's up in New Covenant or Covenant Presbyterian Church, today the word is fulfilled in your hearing. I do what I say. So go to him. He's already shown you that that's how he does things. He's already shown you how to go to him. He showed you by going to the scripture himself. He goes... In other words, he's showing who he is. He's revealing himself. His ministry is beginning. The first thing he does is has a Bible study. The first thing he does is he reads the Bible. The first thing he does is he preaches a sermon. So he's telling you right now, listen, here's where power hits your weakness. Here's where you're healed. Here's where you're set free. Go to my words. Go to my words and I do it. Go to my words and I do what I say. Go to my words, and I'll give you power and healing and comfort and freedom. So you go in his word to get things done. 
So don't go to his word and look for instructions. Don't go to his word and look for education. Go to his words to get something done. Go to him in preaching too. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it's amazing. So he goes to preaching. Jesus preaches, and he preaches himself. And so what does that tell us? It tells us that, man, if I am going to spend an hour and a half, whatever it is that happens on Sunday, I'm not going to go and hear preaching that's not about Jesus. What else is there? And Jesus is telling us, you go to find me, and I find you in preaching about Jesus. So who is this text for? The answer is you. The answer is me. And Jesus is saying to every one of us this morning, listen, I do what I say. Go to my words, and I will comfort you. I will free you. I will give power to you. I will put you back together again. I will comfort you. I will heal you. I'll put everything back. Let's pray. So, Lord, we thank you for your words. We thank you that they're not only true, but they do. We thank you that they not only like give light to our minds, clarity to the minds, but they make things real in our hearts. So, Lord, we ask that um, today for whoever is finding themselves in this text, finding themselves as the brokenhearted, finding themselves as the weakness, Lord, I pray that you would have us go to your words and would you speak life back into us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.